It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Um, Before we get started with the guest today, um, just a little bit of housekeeping. I wanted to let you know that um, I am... My email, which has always been loveyourlife at randyfine.com, will be available probably until April, but I'm just changing it for, to make it simple to randy at randyfine.com. So um, if you make note of that, if you ever have to contact me, it's randy at randyfine.com. So much easier. So much easier. And also, um, I just recently released the second edition to Close Encounters of the Worst Kind. And it's really good. Um, trust me, I don't make a lot of money off my books. But, um, but I, I like for people to have the book because it really is beneficial. Today's special guest, Rebecca Weiner McGregor, is an amplifier of love who helps people get unstuck by freeing themselves from old negative emotion and thought patterns to find their self-worth, peace, and joy. Rebecca is the author of the book, Loving Her, 10 Loving Standards to Call Forward, The Wealthy Woman Inside. She has worked with women across the country and around the world to release limiting beliefs and rewire their subconscious mind to feel limitless, take action, and create a life filled with abundance. Rebecca is a consulting hypnotist certified by the National Guild of Hypnotists, creator of the Whole Life Happy Method of Hypnosis, breakthrough maker coach and mentor since 2004 and she has created a spiritual practice so she's blended hypnosis mindfulness breathing meditation gratitude EFT and neuro-linguistic programming uh, as well as other things I'm not going to read them all but um, she has so much um, she's got so many skills here so good morning Rebecca welcome Hey, Randy. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, Rebecca, what, um, you know, there's always something that prompts us to become healers of sorts. And what was it, if you would like to share, what was it that prompted you to get into the work that you're doing? Oh, I'll absolutely share. Um, way back a long time ago, um, when I was in high school, actually, my family was going through some things, and we were in family therapy. And family therapy was not working for us. We were we were not the right family for family therapy, or we hadn't found the right therapist yet. And even back then, thinking 17, 18 years old, which, of course, I knew everything already, um, I thought there had to be there had to be a better way to break through. And My path started thinking I was going to be a psychiatrist and um, I was going to revolutionize family therapy and all of that stuff. And 
the day that school was supposed to start, I didn't go. I stayed in bed. And um, I ended up working, I ended up in a career in banking, if you can believe that, and then um, continued on my education shortly after starting there, going for psychology, health psychology was um, where I started with my graduate studies. And then one of my coworkers started talking about hypnosis and asked me if I was interested in it. And he said, I think you could help a lot of people just knowing my desire to help people, knowing that I was always the one that everyone was coming to for advice and always had a new outlook or a different perspective. And I fell in love with hypnosis during my training and healed the social anxiety that I was dealing with at the time. And um, that caused the fire to grow even stronger. And all these years later, that's still a priority for me is helping people release anxiety, panic, guilt, shame, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. So all this stuff that's lying on the subconscious level. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> right. All that we built up when we were kids that we're still operating from. Isn't that so true? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's really hard for some people to believe that their thoughts are not really relative to today or to who they are or to what they're going through. It's, it's truly ama- amazing how we can carry over so many negative beliefs and limiting beliefs from the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the the title of the show today is Why Does Suffering Feel Safe? Yeah. Are we ready to go into that topic or do we need to sort of lead up to that? Hmm. We could do either. All right. Well, let's talk about why suffering feels safe and then we can sort of go into what you talk about in your book, yeah. Loving You. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, suffering feels safe because it's what we know. It's Usually, when we are attached to suffering in some way, whether it is a set of beliefs, a way of being, uh, some actions that we learned from our family, from our culture, from society, wherever we learned it, some things we know are passed down from generation to generation. And when we know those things, and they feel safe to us, So it's easier for us, it's easier for our subconscious mind to not fight our subconscious mind and to keep on suffering because that's what we know. The known is always, it always seems to be easier than the unknown, right? Right, always, it does seem. (laughs) I like that word, seem. Right, it seems. Because we get this discomfort, the discomfort of suffering is often easier than the discomfort of not knowing if the thing that we want to try will work for us. Not knowing if when we put all this energy into changing, if it will actually get us anywhere. If we try to change, will we have to unsettle, uproot, flip over our whole lives to make a new life? Well, we have to start from scratch. Some people believe that the suffering is just easier than letting themselves be successful because what if we lose it and we're right back where we started anyway? Um, That's so true. 
and change is not about leaping from one major uh, lifestyle or belief system to another. It's change takes place through baby steps. It's it's a it's a progression, right? Absolutely, and little little tweaks. You know, if you ch- if you shift one degree every day or every week, just one degree, you're looking at a whole different direction in a very short amount of time. And you didn't have to burn down the whole thing and start over. Exactly. You know, another thing about that I've learned um, working with people is that the fear of becoming better is scary because they don't know who they'll be when they leave behind the identity that was causing them pain. Oh, yeah. Have you noticed that too, right? Yeah, yes. I work with a a lot of women dealing with anxiety in my one-on-one practice, and one of them, a young woman, said to me, I don't know who I'll be without anxiety. This is who I built myself to be. So I worked with a woman yesterday and she said, who will I be when I'm not a victim anymore? Mm-hmm. When I don't see myself as a victim anymore. When I see myself as a survivor, as someone who's empowered, who will I be? And that's, it can be both scary and exciting at the same time to figure out who that person's going to be. Right. It takes a lot of courage to do that, to let go yeah. of the identity that's not working for you. Um, that's, and to you just embrace the healthier one. <laughs> that's not working for you. That's the key right there, right? We get we forget that we can shift when things aren't working for us. We don't have to stay on the path and keep suffering. Like, well, this is just the way life is going to be. I just, you know, I'm just going to have to live with things like this. What you said was so powerful that we get to recognize that things aren't working. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that confirmation. Um, Let's talk about um, good girl um, thing, (laughs) belief that that women have, um, or many women have. I shouldn't say all women, but many women have. We're having some static here. I don't know what that is. Okay. All right. Do you hear it on your end? Just a touch. Okay. All right. Hopefully it won't be uh, the listeners won't hear it as much. Okay. It's coming and going. Um, so what is this good girl thing that we, uh, that we, so many of us hold on to? Well, we've been trained, at least many of us have been trained. Our mothers have been trained. Our grandmothers have been trained to be good. So we're liked. So we're loved. So we find the people for us. So we find the right partner for us. So we find someone to take care of us, right? Like this is an old, old thing that if we make ourselves look really good, then someone will want us rather than being someone who is high maintenance, we will go in and be low maintenance. Personally, I was like no maintenance at all because I was so worried about being high maintenance that I didn't ask anybody anything and really wasn't offering anything. 
but this this desire to be good and to not rock the boat and to be, you know, just to take it and turn the other cheek and all these things. These are just like subtle teaching that we've been taught over and over. And not not that our mothers wanted us to be this way or our mother's mothers wanted us to be this way. They didn't want us to not value ourselves, right? But it, they wanted to make things easy on us. So being good was the easy path for many people. Mm. It's true. It's, it's, it's one of the ways that we learn to navigate life without, you know, when we really don't have other ways to, um, to cope with things. Being the good girl, being the good person, being the pleaser, um, the compliant one, <clears throat> is the way that some people deal with all problems. Yep, absolutely. Don't make waves. Don't make it worse on yourself. Don't speak up. Don't be the squeaky wheel. Like we, we, our society has like little, little nuances, little phrases for everything that, um, that m- might cause you to like. If you step out of line, we've got a name for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We've got if you if you seem to be um, too loud, then you're obnoxious. If you're too quiet, then you're shy. Then you're approved then you're you know every every direction we turn we're we're being asked to stay in line mm, good point and very good point yeah it's it comes at us so subtly from a magazine cover to the things you follow on social media at times that i feel like some social media has gotten a lot better with that but it's it's everywhere and has been and especially it, for the women of my generation yes and it this really starts in school um oh yeah you know we're 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 told to step into you know just just follow the um the structure that is set for us and that doesn't necessarily work for every child, and there's a problem too, but we're not going to get into the school system. <laughs> but it, that doesn't appeal to everybody because some people, I've always been an out-of-the-box thinker, an out-of-the-box sure. doer. I was not a structured person. So, sure. um, you know, so, so that was a real dilemma. Um, yeah. So let's talk about limiting beliefs. <clears throat> sure. What, yeah, what kind of limiting beliefs do people have? Like, what are some of the examples for people who don't really understand what we're talking about? Sure. A limiting belief is something that causes you to believe that you can't go any further. You can't do any more than what you've already done. And one of the, I would say the two most common limiting beliefs for people are that they don't have enough money or they don't have enough time. And these, you can see right away that these beliefs Keep them from going after what they want because, oh, my gosh, if if it's going to take me a lot of time and I don't have time because life is so busy, then then I can't pursue the thing that I want. You know, if you're 50 years old and you want to start learning to play the piano, that's going to take a lot of practice and that's going to take a lot of time. Well, I don't have the time for that. It would take away from something else and so we don't pursue it. This is just a very simple example, of course. Right. 
and then if there's something that wants to change, even people leaving relationships, I know you deal with this so much in your work, leaving relationships and that feeling of, well, it's going to cost so much money, it's going to, I'm going to have to figure things out, I'm going to have to change everything about my life, and it's going to be really uncomfortable, and it's, so I will use, and even use that first, those basic limiting beliefs, like I don't have enough money, as an excuse not to take the chance, not to take the step forward, not to move forward, not to expand. That is a very common one. Yes. Yeah. Another limiting belief, I think, um, that at least the people who um, are um, dealing with narcissistic abuse, personality disorder abuse, um, is I'm not good enough. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. I mean, mm-hmm. that one is really at the root of all the other ones, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. because if I'm not the, worth taking the risk. I'm not, you know, I'm not worth investing the time or the money. Yeah, and I'm not. Then the, from there, it's I'm not smart enough. Like, what if what if I fail because I just don't know enough right now? I don't know everything right now, so I can't take the step. What if I'm not strong enough? What if I can't endure? What needs to be done to make this big shift? These are all rooted in that worthiness and enoughness, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What's the first step in changing our beliefs? Mm. The first step that I like to take is to acknowledge what the beliefs are. To really take a step back and look at the ways that you or I or the person has been limiting themselves, the the chatter that's going on in their mind, the way that they speak, um, really pay attention to how you're thinking now. Because if you don't really know how you're thinking now and where you might be limited, then it's hard to change a belief. But if we start to really pay close attention to the way we talk when we talk to our friends, when we talk to our kids, our coworkers, um, our partners, the words that come out, and really pay attention to are we holding ourselves back in some way or are we moving toward the life vision that we have for ourselves? Are we looking, when we look at these thoughts, then we can ask, are these thoughts moving me closer to the vision that I have for myself, or are they moving me further away, or are they even just keeping me stuck right here? And when we start to just pay attention, then the next step is to release all judgment of yourself for having those beliefs in the first place. Mm. It's extremely important to me that when I work with someone, that when we do this exploration and we start to mine for data about the limitations that they've placed on themselves, that we do it from a place of really deep love and care for the self rather than, oh, look what a mess you've made with all these thoughts all these years. And being able to hold back that judgment so that you're not compounding the pain, not compounding the limitations just helping the helping yourself to acknowledge okay 
this is the way that I've been thinking. And then realizing I can start to change that. But if we get caught so deep in the, you know, of course, feel your feelings, but if we get caught so deep in the judgment of the feelings, then we're moving in a different direction than we want to be. Hmm. You know, I don't think people realize how powerful the wordings, wording that they use is. Um, you know, like, I'll try. Like, in other words, I can have a great, great, powerful conversation, motivating conversation with someone, and then say, okay, how does that, you know, how does that feel? I'll try. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, Right? right? It's not about trying. It's about, you know, I'm, go- I'm going to give this my best shot. Not I'll try, but I'm going to, to, to do everything I can to work towards that goal. Um, so these are words I think that people use a lot and aren't really paying attention. Um, or I'll never be, you know. So, you know, yeah, yeah, that's great, you know. But, you know, I don't come from money. I'll never be rich. You know, right. those kind of things. Um, and I think we all tend to say them sometimes until we become aware, to be, become conscious of the words that we use. Because we are talking to ourselves when we say these things, aren't we? Absolutely. And that's why conversations like this are so important, to bring awareness. You know, just let's really acknowledge what you said about never. I like to acknowledge always and never together, right? Like very few things in our lives are absolutes. And using always and never, send a message to our subconscious mind just to dial whatever we said, deep, dial that deep in so that we know that it won't ever change. We can't ever change it because we're getting the, the confirmation right now, I'm always going to be this way, he's always going to be this way, she's always going to be this way. I can't change because they won't change. It that really cements that the absolute, right? I'll never be rich. I'll never be happy. I'll never find the right person. I'll never be able to change my career. I'll never be able to do whatever, right? Because we're telling ourselves these things over and over. So even for your beautiful listeners, thinking about, just starting to pay attention to how often you use the phrase or the words always or never. And how often That's, you're shutting yourself down when you have a spark of something that you want to be safe. Like shutting it down because, well, it is just safer to say I'll try than to say I'm going to put everything I've got into this. Right. Or, you know, anything's possible. Or something yeah. like that. You know, anything's right. possible. Um, you know, it may not seem possible now, but, you know, anything can happen. And I think as we go through life and we have the benefit of hindsight, the older we get, the more mature we get, we can look back and we can see how things sometimes just happen that we didn't control, we didn't right. initiate, and we could not have put together no matter what we would have done, that things just do. They happen. They move forward. Life moves forward. Things move on. And the way that we are today is not the way we're going to be in 10 years. And right. because life is, is a perpet- life is in perpetual motion, things shift and change. Yes. 
Yes. It's so powerful to acknowledge uh, that the way we are now is not the way we'll be in 10 years. Right. Even if no matter what we do, it's it's going to change. It's going to shift right. and change. Um, why is fear our friend? Mm. I always get like a little bit of a, what? What are you talking about? Fear is our friend, Rebecca. You're full of crap. <laughs> I kind of get that response <laughs> when I talk about this. <laughs> fear is not the enemy. Fear is something that we can walk alongside of, acknowledge is here, and fear will show us exactly where we have placed a limitation on ourselves. Fear will walk us right to the edge and then say, nope, you can't go any further. So it will tell us exactly where, where we'll allow ourselves to go with our current set of beliefs, with our current set of beliefs based on whatever it is that we've been through in our lives. And so it's not a bad part of us. I mean, fear is simply trying to protect us, right? Fear wants us to be safe, wants us to be okay. Frankly, fear does not give a flying fig about our happiness. It's our spirit that wants happiness. Fear wants to keep us safe. Fear wants to keep us protected. Fear wants to keep us okay. And it doesn't even care so much that we are uncomfortable at that limitation that it's showing us. It just wants us to be safe. So in order to work with, to allow fear to calm down, to let us stretch into the next version of ourselves, to let us grow into the next version of ourselves, it's so much easier to think of it as a guide uh, to where the limitations are rather than the enemy because then we're fighting against ourselves. And it's so much easier when we're not fighting against ourselves too. And so I guess this is really about sitting with our emotions, allowing our emotions, and not, not fearing our emotions. Um, let's talk about that because it's so important. Um, you know, when fear comes up, it's supposed to be looked at. It's not supposed to be pushed back down, right? Right, absolutely. When we push it back down, we're just, we're just saving it. We're just procrastinating on feeling it. Our feelings, the whole spectrum of emotion is designed to be felt. And we're not a bad person because we feel angry sometimes. We're not a wrong person because we feel fear sometimes. We're designed to feel the whole spectrum of emotion and allow it to move through us without judging it so harshly. And it will actually will move through us and move on so that we can grow and move forward from that place. Yeah, judging it. Um, it's and like you said, it's so important that we're talking about this because um, we do tend to do that. Like for instance, people who come out of uh, narcissistic uh, abuse relationships. Uh, once they get out, what they tend to do is they tend to start hurting themselves by saying things like. I should have known better. I'm better than that. Why did I do that? You know, what was I thinking? How stupid am I? Um, 
all those kind of things. And then when they come to me and they're miserable, we, we talk about, you know, well, what are you saying to yourself? Because um, you need to stop it. You have to stop saying those things, you know. You have to love yourself and be kind and gentle with yourself if you're going to feel better. You can't yes. take the abuse and carry it forward on your own. And that's what people tend to do. Oh, yeah. You nailed it so well. It's like they, this is where we get comfortable with suffering, right? So we get comfortable with suffering and then we move forward. We, we make the break, the big break to be away from the person who is hurting us. But then the, the abuse continues often from ourselves because we're so used to that suffering. And we hope, this is once again, our body, our subconscious mind helping us. If we just stay on high alert to this suffering, then we won't cause more suffering. It's such a conundrum that we put ourselves in, isn't it? That the, mm. we, we keep this abuse going to make sure that we're, we stay on high alert. We focus so much on this that we're constantly judging ourselves that hopefully that will keep us safe, right? But it's so painful to live like that and to really fall into your own trap then of, well, I probably won't go back. I probably... I've heard this from my my dear friend. We actually have a little joke about um, acknowledging how many times she says probably. I probably <laughs> won't help him with this. I probably won't go back. Probably not. Not no, not definitely no, but probably not. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy for her to step back into that because into that suffering with him because that's what feels comfortable for her. And that's not a judgment. It's it's an acknowledgement. She feels, she doesn't feel better being with him, but she feels safe in that relationship because it's what she knows. Being with someone right. who treats right. her really well really is confusing as she's healing the past. And I can so relate to that because years ago that's how I felt. You know, I was so used to drama and abuse that I couldn't imagine. I mean, for me to imagine what um, a decent relationship looked like, I had to go so far to the other side to the point where I was, like, thinking about nerdy, boring people. You know, it's like, well, if I can't have the fun, exciting drama of the person who's abusive to me, well, then it's going to be nerdy and boring. You know, it's like, that's how I thought. I, I remember feeling that way. And I remember saying, no, this isn't working for you. You're going to have to force yourself to think a different way. And I discovered that normal people are not necessarily nerdy and boring. So, um, but, but I get that. I can relate to that very, very much. Oh, there's something in this where you are talking about swinging the pendulum the whole, the whole opposite way, right? Where when we come out of a relationship where we are so overgiving, overdoing, overcaring, over-dependent, taking care of that other person so much that when we stop taking care of them or we slow down the care, that we start to feel like we're cold. Mm. And that doesn't feel right either. Like, it just feels so good to give sometimes, even though it's not always healthy to give at the level that we are giving, but coming out of that and not being the pushover, not just saying yes, not just giving in, 
not just handling things because it's just easier to handle them than to get into a conversation about handling the thing, that we feel cold. And that does level out too. Did you notice that too? Yes, it did. Eventually, it was like when I took that leap of faith, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit, talk about um, taking that leap of faith out of the suffering and into the unknown. When I did that, because I said, you know what? Nothing's working. <laughs> my, my way is not working for me. So I'm just going to be so disciplined and I'm not going to do it my way. I'm just going to try a different way. Um, and I was able to experience things that I never even knew existed <laughs> just wow, by taking that leap and stepping out of that fear, you know. Um, and you were saying, you know, it feels good to give to others. And it truly does. Mm-hmm. Um, when we are, when this is our pattern, though, I think that we need to flip that around. We need to boomerang, boomerang that around. Every time we feel like we want to give to others, we need to give to ourselves um, just to kind of take it and, 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 and make it ours for a while. It doesn't mean that you're being selfish. It means that you're trying to heal, you yeah. know, the, your, your limiting beliefs. And self-love is, um, this confuses many people because self-love, people think it's selfish, but it's not because when you start giving to yourself, you have more to give other people. Absolutely. And you're under no obligation to actually give anything to anybody else, which sounds selfish all by itself. But you're under no obligation. You could give and take care of yourself for a really long time. You could give to yourself so much that you're wondering, like, how could I possibly give to myself? How could I possibly love myself any more this week? I've done so much for myself already. And I think that's really just important for just the acknowledgement, too, that we can give to ourselves on such a high level. And no one will be negatively impacted by it at all. And also, we have so many gifts that we're trying to share with the world that we're actually under no obligation to share them. That's true. And people yeah. who accuse us, people who accuse us of giving ourselves too much, they have an agenda. Anybody oh, that yeah. says to you, um, you're so selfish, you're always taking care of you, it's because they have an agenda and they don't want you to do that. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And how often, if someone is saying that to you, that you're selfish and you're doing things for you, how much are you actually even giving to yourself at that at the level that you, you know, what level could you be giving to yourself when the person starts to say things like this? We're probably barely giving anything to yourself, but it's feeding <laughs> on their desire, right? It's taking away from their their selfishness. Yes. Exactly. Give me, 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 me. <laughs> Don't give it to you, um, you know. So, Rebecca, let's talk about your book, um, Loving Her oh. Ten, Loving Standards to Call Forward, The Wealthy Woman Inside. So let's go through the book and um, tell us about, you know, each chapter and what, um, you know, what you are um, conveying in those chapters. Yeah. So, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think the big thing that, I want people, especially your audience, to understand is that this book is written from a place of working with women for 18 years, well, 17 years at the time, um, who 
wanted to leave relationships, whether they were personal or professional, that were abusive, unkind, not serving them anymore, and they didn't feel like they were powerful enough to create wealth to sustain themselves, even just an income or enough to sustain themselves. And this this book is really born out of a passion uh, that no woman should have to suffer financial abuse and that you have the ability to create a powerful life for yourself where you are not dependent on anyone, that you can you can take care of yourself, you can relieve, relieve yourself of a situation that is harmful to you or not serving you by implementing these standards and taking care of yourself. And, you know, some of them, you'll, you'll uh, adjust the verbiage for some of them for yourself, but the point of this is to really help the reader to understand their personal power and their ability to create things in this world without another without being dependent on someone else. And that's so important. So, um let's go through um you know this the progression in this book. Take us take us yeah. through it. Yeah, absolutely. Really the first part of it is um talking about just my personal awakening and my understanding of how I've been the good girl in so many ways, but I was trying to be good and do good, and so many of my clients and friends just trying to do what we were told was right to keep us on the path, keep us controlled a little bit. Not that anyone was specifically hoping to control us, but really overall like this, this underlying need to understand our next move, right? And um, it kind of, when we look at it, when we pull back the, when we zoom out a little bit, we can see that there's so much control that we place on ourselves and so much hemming in and limitation that we place on ourselves that we can't see ourselves moving beyond that. And this really is to allow ourselves to become wherever we are now, whatever level of personal empowerment, whatever level of um, wealth, whatever, wherever we've placed ourselves right now, we have the ability to grow from here. And it's our natural desire as creators to have a big vision for ourselves and to have a vision beyond the vision, even if we stifled it even if we've tried to put it away, even if we have tried to pretend that it's not here or not happening, we have a vision, and there is a vision even on, on the other side of that vision, and to allow ourselves to move into the, in the direction of that vision. So this really gets to be for you wherever, wherever you are right now, wherever you want to go. This right now is the perfect time to start. There's no better time than right now. And this, the standards are really about setting yourself up with the knowing and understanding of who you are and who you are connected to and what's possible and 
probable and also um, that your power is connected to your vision. So I say that because often when we're going for a goal or we're going for a desire, we will go for the lowest hanging fruit first. Like, oh, this is what I can probably get. And then we'll expand a little bit into, well, I mean, this this might be possible for me. Still kind of operating in the, yeah, I think this is what I can do. And then on the other side of that is we actually truly want. And sometimes that requires a lot of creativity, a lot of uh, operating in what's possible and operating from the passion to get there. Does that connect? And that's, um, so that's, that's the first part of the book? Yeah, it really, just moving into the standards is um, like <clears throat> number one being I'm, I'm a powerful creator. It's just the acknowledgement. Okay, and that, then the second one I think is from good girl to wealthy woman. Is that the oh, second I'm part? sorry. Yeah, we're still in part one. Yeah, that's oh, really okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, walking through that was really the part about you know noticing all the ways that we have stopped ourselves, all the mm. ways that we've talked down to ourselves, all the ways that we have tried to be someone who was worthy by being all these things, by being the good girl. If I make myself good enough, if I make myself appealing enough to other people, then it'll be okay. Then I'll be able to get what I want. Then I'll then maybe someone will save me. But as we grow up, these ways of being these um Being good, not being good enough, holding ourselves back. Um, I'm fumbling on my words, going back a little bit here, but um, That's okay. so much getting caught in the judgment of the self and trying to be the good girl, trying to be good, trying to be just enough, but not too much, <laughs> right? And right. We, when we do that, when we look at all the ways that we're thinking about ourselves all day, all the ways that we are, that we have learned from our families, our culture, society, schools, everywhere, people are expressing ourselves, or expressing themselves, that we are getting messages all the time to be something, and often we will tell ourselves all these stories about, well, if I, if I do this, then I'll be good. If I haven't done this, then I'll be good. If I could just be better at this, then I'd be good enough. Then this would be possible for me. But releasing all of those stories about enoughness, worthiness, and just allowing yourself to start to believe that you don't have to be anything other than what you are right now to love yourself and to become the version of yourself that you want. And and, right, and in the um, in the chapter "A Wealthy Woman, Rich Life, Living a Rich Life," you talk about places that wealth and abundance show up in our lives, 
And I think it's important to cover that because wealth and abundance does not necessarily have to mean money, right? Right, yeah. Wealth and abundance can be, I mean, abundance is wealth in all forms to me. Abundance in all forms. Abundance at its core is feeling good. So deeply trusting yourself, really having good support and connection in your life, having joy and pleasure in your life, feeling a sense of contentment, feeling gratitude, feeling uh, healthy and strong and powerful in your body. These are really wonderful places where we can find that richness in our lives too, and we can feel abundant when we have these things. And focusing on that abundance will help us to create actual opportunity for money to flow into our lives as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, um, so when you talk about being a wealthy woman, you're not just necessarily talking about having a lot of money. That can be part of it. But wealth yeah. is wealth is um, can be many things. And yeah. and this is this really is related to gratitude here because what we really need to stop and take a look at what we have, where our wealth already is. We do have a lot more wealth than we give ourselves credit for usually. Um, oh, yeah. And gratitude will, um, once we begin to, to recognize that and um, feel gratitude for those things that we do have, um, it does help propel us forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Gratitude is the highest vibrating, healthiest emotion that we can feel. And we don't want to use gratitude to bypass the feelings that we need to feel, right? But as you were saying, acknowledging those things that we have in our lives that are already so wonderful, so powerful, when we acknowledge them, we feel good. When we acknowledge how the things in our lives, like, oh, I got to spend that time with my friend and it just fed my spirit and I felt so open and free talking to her, and I spend time in gratitude thinking about that experience. I get to welcome more of that into my life, and I get to enjoy the fact that I have that and thinking about and feeling into my body how that felt for me when I was with that friend and how my spirit felt and acknowledging how that feels in the body helps to create more of that because what we focus on, we get to bring more of into our lives. Right. Thank you. Um, you have a, something in your book called I Am a Powerful Creator, and then you have affirmations. Do you have your book with you? Yes, I do. Okay, so I think it's page 45. And yeah. let's just go over with us um, how to use these, this affirmation so we can yeah, all do it with you. Absolutely. I love affirmations. Um, And I think I want to just acknowledge here that some people can get caught up in affirmations being not working for them because there's something that we often do with affirmations. We set it so big that it feels like a lie to us. So (laughs) as as you're reading through this, if there's an affirmation that feels like it's too far away from what you are right now, where you are right now, then adjust it to come a little closer to you. So like, for example... You may not want to say, I'm a wealthy woman. You may want to say, I am taking steps every day to become a wealthy woman. So you can expand and get into that place. So I'm a powerful creator really, to me, is 
knowing that I am of the divine and I am of this infinite universe and I must be like what I came from, so I must be that powerful creator. And the fun part about this is that that means everyone else is too, so we don't have to overgive and overdo or take care of everyone else's stuff for them. We can take care of our own. So what I like to do is place hand on heart. I love a good hand on heart moment. Put your hand on your heart and just connect to yourself. This is a really powerful thing to do when you're even feeling anxious or out of sorts, just putting your hand on your heart and reconnecting to yourself. Giving yourself a few breaths. And then the affirmations that I have here, I really suggest when you do an affirmation, to say it out loud many times. I have in this book to say it out loud 30 times. What happens is that it starts to create a shift in your body, and you will feel a shift as you say it. And the ones related to I am a powerful creator, um, I think are so special. So as you repeat these, just notice that there's such value in saying these things out loud. Trust in the power and the vibration of your vocal cords, right? To let this be something that you want to create as a reality for yourself. Let yourself speak it. Let yourself put the noise, put the vibration against your vocal cords and make some noise for it. So the first one, hand on heart. I use my attention and intention to create the life I love. I use my attention and intention to create the life I love. And as you feel those words, even as you say them right now, just one or two times, connecting that to yourself, knowing that when I put my focus and I set my intention on creating something that I want for myself, and it could, we can start small here, that things will begin to change. Just like we were talking about earlier, those one-degree shifts. The next one is the ultimate act of self-love is to create a life that I love. Hmm, that's great. The ultimate act of self-love is to create a life that I love. And as you say these things, what will happen is your brain will start to look for opportunities for you to give yourself that atten- the attention and intention to create the life that you love. The, your brain will start to look for opportunities for you to shift something to create the life that you love. And the next one, this is one of my favorites, my life is a sacred experience. And even taking the time to say these affirmations, taking the time to do your morning ritual where you pray or you write gratitude or you read something that is spiritual, starts to remind you that your life is is not just you on the hamster wheel, right? It is an experience. This is a sacred experience for you to be alive. And when we start seeing our, our lives as a sacred experience, we start to treat it just a little bit more reverently, more respectfully. And then the next one is, I am devoted to my vision. And maybe you don't have the vision yet. That's okay. Maybe it's I'm devoted to uncovering my vision for myself. And as you say these words over and over, you will start to unlock these places where you've been hemmed in or held back a little bit. And this next one is, I claim and reclaim my power to create a fulfilling life. This one has it built in that you know that you're going to have to claim it 
for yourself and then you might waver and you might feel worry or you might feel disconnected or you might feel like that I can't do that I can't get there I'm not enough at times but this one really acknowledges that you get to reclaim it anytime you get to reclaim it right now I claim and reclaim my power to create a fulfilling life and the next one is I stay connected to my thoughts my feelings and actions and know that I can shift whenever I decide I stay connected to thoughts, feelings, and actions and know that I can shift whenever I decide. Allowing myself just the knowledge that I can pay attention to what I'm doing. I can watch out for myself. And if I'm doing things that aren't serving me, I have the power to choose it, to change right now. And then, of course, I celebrate my success and the success of others easily and automatically. This is really powerful because if you decide to take on the standard that I am a powerful creator, then this means other people are powerful creators and there is no such thing as jealousy anymore. So we're not in judgment of what anybody else is doing and we're not in judgment of ourselves for not having it. We're not saying I'm not enough because I don't have the thing that somebody else has that I want. It is celebrating their success, and that brings us back to, well, if I shift my intention, I can create that for myself too. If I shift the way that I'm thinking or feeling or my actions, I can create that for myself too. Or maybe something that's even more aligned for me. I love these affirmations. They are really wonderful. Thank you. Um, And and thank you for explaining them because... um, it really helps us to understand what we would be saying to ourselves and, you know, rather than just reading it. So thank you for, you know, explaining each one. Yeah, um, it's definitely a different experience to talk to ourselves in this way than the way that we're doing when we're in a lot of judgment, right? This is why I, I got the uh, name Amplifier of Love. My dear friend Jane said, you always want me to love myself so much. You always want me to not judge myself so much. She said, you always want to amplify love. So that's how I got that name. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. I love that. The love amplifier. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Thanks. Um, so, Rebecca, as we come down um, closer to the end, um, we didn't get to do your whole book, but is there something that you wanted to share with us, a message or something you wanted to say that um, we haven't covered yet? I'm sure there's so much that you, you have um, to share Is there something in particular you'd like to say at the end? Yeah, I would just love to, I would just love, I feel a little goosebumps right now for the listeners. I I always love connecting and, and I just want to acknowledge that wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life, there is an opportunity for you to release judgment of yourself and love yourself just a little bit more. And things will get so much easier. Just that one degree shift of loving yourself. Just honoring where you are, releasing judgment of yourself, and just looking at things that you're thinking or doing or ways that you're behaving, looking at them as data, and just allowing yourself to see that for what it is. Know that that's the old, you know, that's old patterns running. And then use that data to make tiny little shifts. Those tiny little shifts change everything. 
over time. And you are capable of tiny little shifts, and then those will give you the confidence to make the bigger ones when you get there. Mm, But I believe you completely, yes. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so uh, we're talking about your book, Loving Her, 10 Loving Standards to Call Forward the Wealthy Woman Inside You. And um, I'm sure some people would love to pick up a copy of this beautiful book. So where would they do that? Um, they can go right to my website, and the link is right there. It's RebeccaWiener.com. Okay. It's available on um, other booksellers, too. And you also have um, HealWithHypnosis.com. So if someone was interested in working with you, is that where they would go? Yeah, that would be a beautiful connection, yes. Okay. All right. So, oh, what a great hour. It went fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was really great talking to you, and um, thank you for what you do. And it's so special to help people connect with the best versions of themselves, and yeah. I think that's what you do. Um, and I'm very grateful to have had the chance to talk with you today. Thank you, Randy. I feel grateful, too. I appreciate you. <laughs> well, have a wonderful day. And thank, thank you. You, too. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. So we are out, are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me. Now I'm going to give you the new email address. Um, it's going to be randy at randyfine.com. You can still use loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com if that's what you're more comfortable with, but the new one is going to be randy at randyfine.com. Couldn't be easier. Um, May joy and serenity always be yours. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.